The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? I tell, you, I tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I love when Sarah's here. It's so wonderful. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking a lot about tension. We've talked about the tension of the already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. We've talked about the tension between salvation and sanctification, this idea of positional righteousness versus vocational righteousness. And before that, we even talked about the tension of being Christians in a post-Christian world, this idea of living missionally in a world that doesn't necessarily like who we are as believers. This Christian life that we live is one that's by nature one that is full of tension. It's this difficult life where we're trying to live according to the ways of God in a society and in a world that doesn't always mirror what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. But in this tension, in this middle place, in the in-between, this is where we learn the secret of the way of Jesus. The secret life that's called abiding in him. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, I originally had something completely different planned for the sermon this week. We were going to do uh, Christ the coming king, Christ the savior, Christ the sanctifier, and then if you can guess what's next, it was supposed to be Christ the healer. That's what we were going to be talking about this week. But as I started diving in on Monday and just doing an initial prep for my sermon, I felt the Lord directing me to talk about this idea of abiding of resting in him, of knowing who he is, because there's times where we really need to remember that. We really need to remember that who he is is what is the most important thing. That this life that we're called to live starts by abiding in Jesus. And so I get a question. This is interactive, so hands raised. You can yell out if you want to. How many of you feel overwhelmed by everything you have to do in this life? Okay, it may, okay good. There we go. I'm like, I'm going to be really upset if you guys just have like this chill life and I'm the only one worried up here. You know, we've all got jobs or some of us do. You know, some of us are retired and you guys, you know, get to have all that fun. Uh, but we all have families. We have household chores. We have all the things that we want to approve, improve both in ourselves and in our homes. I'm in the middle of a construction project in our home. So there are tons of things that I want to improve. And even when I just try and take a rest, I'm just staring at that unfinished drywall that needs to be finished. There's always something that needs to be improved. We're, we're all there. We all know this. And at the end of the day, we can feel depleted. We can feel depleted from everything that has to get done. Everything that, that needs to, to be fixed or, or finished, we can get overwhelmed and have the end of the day just feeling depleted. And sometimes, maybe it's just me, Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the lone person. It can feel difficult to know how to live the Christian life fit in with our normal life, right? 
Like, we know we're supposed to spend time with Jesus. We know we're supposed to abide in him. We know that we're supposed to do all of these things. But sometimes life gets in the way. And we're running in all these different directions. And it can feel like, I don't know how to just take a moment and rest and spend time with Jesus. And this is the tension that we're ultimately going to explore today. The tension of knowing how to live the Christian life in the midst of our normal lives. How do we live this out? The story of Martha and Mary is ultimately a story about reorientation. It's about Jesus inviting us to do the better work of abiding in him. That's the story that we're in today. It's this beautiful reorientation where we go from just working and doing and doing and doing, where Jesus says, hold up for just a second. There's there's a better life. There's a better way that we need to discover in order to live the life that he ultimately has for us. So let's go ahead and dive in. I want to reread those first uh, two and a half verses for us, and then we'll read the, the rest of it as we go on. So Luke 10, 38 through the first half of 40 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So let's set the stage for for just a moment to kind of understand what's at play. So in Jesus' ministry, he's going from town to town. He he goes to to this place and this place and that place, and he's always looking for somewhere that he's ultimately going to stay, that's going to welcome him and allow him to do ministry in that town. And so that's what is at play here. Jesus is going around town to town with his disciples. He comes to where Mary and Martha live and, and meets Martha. And Martha's like, yes, I will accept you into my home. Now, Martha is obviously someone who has a heart for the Lord because she's saying, yes, and we have no clue how long Jesus is going to stay there. Like, it could be a day, it could be a week, a month, like 17 months. We don't know how long Jesus is ultimately planning to stay at the home of Mary and Martha. And so it's a great honor for, for Martha to accept and welcome Jesus into our home. It would have something, been something that brought her great honor. But what she's seeing is all the things that need to be done. Right? She's like, Jesus is in my home. His disciples are in my home. Like, it's a wreck. Like, I need to prepare some food. Like, I got to make sure everything is perfect for Jesus. She's distracted by all the preparations that need to be made. But her sister Mary, on the other hand, isn't really worried about any of that. She's not worried about all the things that need to, to get done or all the food that needs to be prepared. Her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's sitting there listening to his teaching, trying to understand who this Jesus is, how this life that he wants us to live is lived, and she's sitting there, just listening. What what gives? Why why is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha is running around? Like, surely Jesus needs to correct Mary, right? Like, Martha's running around doing all the stuff, and Mary's just sitting there, just having a good old time listening to, to Jesus. Now, in order to truly understand this story, we need to understand the the cultural expectations of the first century in in order to to get this a little bit more. So Martha is doing what's completely expected of her to be doing. She's doing what is supposed to be done by the matron of the household. Dr. Craig Keener notes that the matron of the house is responsible for all food preparation for guests. 
So Martha welcomes Jesus and his disciples into her home, and she's like, okay, what's expected of me is now to prepare all of this, to make sure the house is in order, to give them all the food that they need. See, unfortunately, Martha couldn't just order pizza. Like, she couldn't call down to Bazzano's and order, you know, a couple of really large pizzas for Jesus and the disciples. It was a lot of work for her to prepare all the food that was needed for over a dozen people that were staying in her household. She has a lot to get done, and she's hard at work. She's not just hard at work ignoring Jesus. She's doing the best that she possibly can in her framework to serve Jesus. She's doing it to the best of her ability, given what she knows. But that's where the problem ultimately lies. In all of this serving, in all of this doing, she misses something really important. She misses something radically important. She misses what it means to abide. She misses what it means to just spend time with Jesus, to be present with Jesus, to listen to what he has to teach and show her. She's missed the the more important work. She's focused in on all the things that's required of her, all the expectations, everything she has to do. This person wants this, this person wants that. That's how she's living her life. That sounds familiar to any of us. It's constantly expectation. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. I have something better for you. Now let's look at Mary Because Mary, on the other hand, she's learned something that Martha hasn't quite grasped yet. She's discovered something radical about who this Jesus is. She recognizes that he's unlike other people. He's unlike other teachers. And her posture sitting at Jesus' feet may seem like a small portion of the story. But it's actually quite radical for what's happening. Dr. Keener notes that only disciples sit at the feet of their teachers. It's only disciples who sit down at that posture, that lowly level of clinging to every word that their teacher has to say. Keener goes on to to say that Mary's posture and eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching at the expense of a more traditional womanly role would have shocked most Jewish men. Martha was doing what was expected. And Mary's, they're clinging to every word that Jesus has to say for her. She's doing something that's radical. She recognizes that this Jesus is doing something completely different. It's not about tradition. It's not about everything she knows. She recognizes that her her thoughts have to change, that there's a, a new way of life, and she recognizes that her greatest task in that moment isn't to prepare the food, isn't to to do all the things, to make all the preparation happen. She recognizes that her greatest work is to sit there and abide in Jesus, to listen to him, to, to learn from him. See, what Martha is doing is she's serving Jesus from an inherited framework. She's serving Jesus from what she knows, but Mary is learning a new framework altogether. She's learning the way of Jesus. And here's what I want us to get from this. We can't simply add Jesus into our lives and hope that what we do is pleasing to him. We can't just add a little Jesus in, welcome him in the door, and then go on our way to doing everything else. Instead, we must allow him to reorient us. We must allow him to show us his ways and not just try and make him fit within our framework. Allow him to rewrite everything. So let's reread the rest of that passage in Luke 10. 
starting in the second half of verse 40. It says, She, that is Martha, came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha is busy doing all of this work, and Mary is sitting there, and Martha's finally had enough. He's like, I am spending myself. I'm doing everything. Why doesn't anyone else in this household care about what needs to be done? Right? Sound, sound familiar? There's something here that Martha is like, okay, I'm fed up. I need to come to Jesus. And she's fully expecting Jesus to take her side. But what Jesus does is something that's completely different than what she's expecting. Martha was focused on all the things that needed to be done, but Jesus knows something that Martha doesn't know. He knows at the snap of a finger, 5,000 filet of fish meals are there. That's a joke about, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, obviously not filet of fish, but, you know, we got some, some, some pancake-type cake things and some fish. It's a filet of fish. Or it's a heavenly chicken sandwich with fish on it. Like, one of the two. Like, it was a bad joke. Give me the pity laugh every once in a while. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we laughed. That's why I had to have it. It was in the notes where we laughed, so I had to make sure we actually laughed for uh, transition's sake. We laugh, but based on our actions, we often seem to forget that Jesus is this. That he is the one that can make all things happen. That he is the eternal son of God who is before all things and by whom all things were created. This is who Jesus ultimately is. And for Jesus, work done for him is very different than abiding in him. He doesn't just want us to work for him. He wants us to abide in him, to learn his ways, to spend time with him, to learn who he says that he is and who that he says that we are. While Martha's work is noble, it's ultimately good. Jesus isn't chiding her for doing the work. He wants her to be fully alive in him. That's his his goal in this story. It's like, Martha, you're doing all of these things. You're focused in on all of these other things, but just focus in on me for a moment. Just focus in on me. See, Martha's found God. She's, She's found God. She's working for him, but she misses his desire for her. She misses that Jesus desires for her to be present to be still, to know him, to be with him, to just bask in his presence. Tozer put it this way. He said, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. See, Martha had had found God. Jesus is in her home, but then she just focuses in on everything else that needs to be done. She was still operating in that old way of thinking. But Mary, on the other hand, she had found God, and she wasn't leaving his sight. She was sitting at his feet learning his ways. Here's a radical truth for you this morning. God loves you and desires to be in relationship with you. That's the the radical truth of Scripture is that God loves you and that he desires to be in relationship with you. He delights in spending time with you. 
He desires to be with you. He doesn't just grant us salvation and then go on to say, all right, now go prove that you're worth it. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what he does. Instead, he says, come, abide in me. Learn about my ways. Experience my love. Come experience a life that's completely different, and I will make you like me. This is the way of Jesus. And the better choice that Jesus is telling Martha about is to feast on him. Don't worry about making all the food. Come feast on me because this other stuff is of secondary importance. All the things in your life, they're ultimately of secondary importance. It doesn't matter if you achieve all that you want to achieve. It doesn't matter if you have all the things that you want in this life. The most important thing about us is to spend time with Jesus to dwell in his house, to experience his love and his mercy and his grace. That's the most important thing that we can do with our lives. And so there are two questions that I want us to, uh, to think about this morning. And ultimately in this life, there are two questions that we all have to answer. The first question is, what is my highest good? In other words, what is the most important thing that I can do with my life? This is what the Greek philosophers would refer to as telos. It's the, the most important thing. It's the highest good. What can I do with my life that is the best thing that I can do with it? And the second question is, where is fullness of life found? Or in other words, how do I find true happiness? Where do I find true happiness? And I think there's ultimately some tension in these questions because as Christians, we have the word of God to rely on to answer these questions for us. And scripture would tell us that our highest good is to love God and love our neighbors. That's our highest good and that fullness of life is found in Christ. That's the answer to those two questions, but sometimes it's really hard to shift from the cultural gospel to the true gospel. It's really hard to say that, yes, I know my answers to those questions are supposed to be Jesus. Like, it's the Sunday school answer, like, where every answer is Jesus. Like, nine times out of ten, you can say Jesus and still be correct. And the other one out of ten times, no one's going to correct you anyway because you're saying Jesus and you're paying attention. The answer is always Jesus. He, he is where fullness of life is found. He is our highest good. But in this life, it's difficult to actually live that out. That's the, the tension of it. See, the cultural gospel will tell us that our highest good is found in self-actualization. It's about being the best person that I can be. It's about doing whatever makes me happy. It's about doing what I deem is most important. And to, to be fair, oftentimes some of those things are good things, like caring for our families, like fighting injustice, for caring for the poor. Those are good and noble things, but they can't be all that we're about. They can't be the most important thing about us, because none of these are our highest good. Loving God is our highest good. Dwelling with him is our highest good. Finding our identity in him is our highest good. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't do good works. Ephesians tells us that we were made to do good works. But rather, it's about recognizing that relationship with Jesus is of primary importance. Our relationship with Jesus is the primary thing in our lives. 
See, the problem with self-actualization as our highest good is that we never find fullness. It's always just out of reach. It's there, and then I'll get to that point, and there's something else, and then there's something else. There's always something that can be optimized, some sort of progress that can be made. There's always room for improvement, more people to help, more injustice to fight. It's a constantly moving goalpost. Our identity can't be in this. It can't be in what we do. It must be in who God is. It must be in what God has already done. So for you and I sitting here this morning, what we need to do is accept Jesus' offer of reorientation. We need to understand and discover that he is the good life. He alone is the good life. True happiness is only found in our identity as being children of God. Again, this doesn't mean that we sit around like monks and just thinking about God all day and just praying and humming and and doing Gregorian chants. Like, that's not what we're called to do. Although some of us could probably use some of that. Like, some of us could probably spend some more time in God's presence and maybe take a break from the hustle and bustle and, and all of those things. But ultimately, what God wants us for us, what he wants for our lives is for us to seek him. To allow him to be the Lord of our lives. To dwell with him. To spend time at his feet listening to his words of life. Listening to him inviting you to the true good life. Because only in that, only as we spend time with Jesus, only as we spend time getting to know him, will we know how to live this life what it truly means to serve him, what it truly means to love our neighbors as ourselves. The only thing that ultimately matters in this life is fellowship with God. It's the only thing that ultimately matters. And the good news is that Jesus sets the table for us. He sets the table for us. He says, come abide in me. Come to the table. You don't have to work your way to me. You don't have to do all these things to get to me. I'm not elusive. I'm not hard to find. I'm right there. Come dwell with me. That's the beauty of Jesus. And this is the the better portion that Mary has chosen. It's the life that Jesus is inviting Martha into. It's what David spoke of when he prayed in Psalm 27 for. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This is the life that God has for us, the life of abiding in him, of seeking him. It's the most important thing that we can do with our lives, but that requires a reorientation. It requires putting him first. See, God invites us to gaze upon him like Mary and David. He's not elusive. He's not difficult to be found. He's he's right there. He's right there asking us to to seek his face. St. Augustine would call the scriptures God's face for now. While we can't look upon Jesus' face like, like Mary or, or David or the saints of old when, when Jesus is right there in front of them, David wasn't supposed to be in that sentence. Like Mary, we can seek him in the scriptures. We can see Jesus in the scriptures because scripture is God's word for us. 
It reveals who Jesus is so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. Scripture is the way that we seek God. We may not have the luxury to physically sit down face to face with Jesus now. We see through the mirror dimly right now. But we can still see him through the Holy Scripture. We can still experience his presence through the Holy Spirit. But we must seek him. We must seek him. We can't live our lives and just expect for him to pop up. We must seek him. St. Hilary of Poitiers, it's French, I'm not French, I can't speak French, I'm still from Texas. He said in the 4th century that only by yielding to God and giving ourselves to the object of our search can we know the God that we seek. Only by yielding to him, by giving ourselves to him can we know God. He would ultimately sum it up like this, God can only be known in devotion. That's how God is known, not by serving him, not by doing all the things. He's known through our devotion, by putting ourselves as his feet. And as someone who's prone to just doing all the things, like that's where my brain is hardwired. It sees all the things that need to be improved, all the things that need to be done, and just wants to do, do, do. This is the reminder that I often need. It's a reminder that I need, that if I want to live the good life, the life oriented uh, around the highest good that I can do, where fullness of life is found, then I have to abide in God. If this is the life that I ultimately want to live, then I have to take a step back. I have to allow myself to be reoriented. I can't just seek after all the things that I want, even if they're good things, even if they're noble things, even if they're things of service to God, I must seek God first. I must yield my life to him because in my life, I want to leave a legacy that impacts generations to come. I want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But that's only going to happen as I'm transformed into who God wants me to be. It's only going to happen as I yield myself to him, as I sit at his feet, as I learn his ways. As I learn who he says that he is and who that he says that I am. Because ultimately, I in my life and you in your life can never take people to a place that we've never been. We can keep doing all the work. We can keep doing all the things. But unless we know Jesus, unless we sit at his feet, unless we worship him, unless we pray, unless we study the scriptures, then we can't actually introduce people to the good life. We must be enamored with this Jesus, allowing him to fully transform us, allowing him to reorient our lives. Does everyone here know Latin? No, okay. There's a Latin axiom. It says lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Everyone know what that means? Good. There are some authors that I read, they just like put Latin phrases in the middle uh, of a paragraph and expect you to know what it means, and every time I have to go to Google. So don't feel bad. I'm going to tell you what it means. It ultimately means the law of prayer is the law of belief is the law of the way we live. Okay, that still sounds like philosophy to me, so we need to break it down a little bit more. Uh, Glenn Packham, who's a pastor, explains it like this. He says, the way you worship and pray shapes the way you believe, which in turn shapes the way that you live. The way that we worship and pray shapes the way that we believe, which in turn shapes the way that we live. If we want the good life, 
And we must sit at the feet of Jesus. We want to live the life that we know God has for us, the life that we know that we're supposed to live, then we need to take a step back. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus, gaze into his face, learn what he has for us. Because time spent with God is the fuel for life. It's the fuel for life. It's the work that we're called to do, spending time in his presence. We're called to make worship the primary telos of our lives, the, the highest good, the thing of most importance. Because when we do that, it changes everything. Everything changes when we make this worship of God the primary thing about us. We're not supposed to be like Martha and just open up the door and say, Hey, Jesus, I'm going to be over here doing all the things. That's not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be like Mary. To open the door to say, Hey, Jesus, speak to me. Show me your ways. Show me who you are. Tell me about this life that I'm supposed to live. Show me the highest good. Show me where fullness of life is found. I want to tell you something today, friend. God loves you with an unfailing love. He desires for you to be in his presence. He loves you. He cares for you. He desires you. He wants to have communion with you. He wants you to abide in him. He purchased your salvation. He died for you. He gave himself for you so that you might live. He took upon the cross so that we could live. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to respond to him, to abide in him. And the question that ultimately we must answer this morning is, will we surrender? Will we surrender to Jesus? Will we yield our lives to his ways? To the way that he ultimately has for us? Will we stop thinking about everything that needs to be done? All the things that are pulling on our attention. All the ways in which we can serve him even. And just be with him. Surrender. Sit at his feet. Learn his ways. Learn what he has to say. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you invite us into the true good life, the life of Jesus, the life where we are made sons and daughters of God, life that we don't have to to strive and work ceaselessly. But a life that's found in the rest of your presence, the goodness of who you are. And I pray this morning that you would help us to surrender to you. And all the things that are taking away our attention from you, help us to surrender this morning. All the expectations of others or that we put on ourselves, help us to surrender to you this morning. God, we want your life. We want the way that you would have for us. God, teach us to abide this morning. Teach us to, to come before you, to sit at your feet. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.